Hey everybody, how you doing today? Welcome to the podcast, Breaking Biotech. My name is Matt. Thank you guys so much for watching today. Uh, if you like what I'm doing, please like, subscribe, or leave me a comment. Uh, I got a bit of a different setup because of a, a water incident with my laptop uh, this week. So unfortunately, the uh, the document that has my uh, portfolio overviews on that, so we're not going to do that today. But I do have some good stuff, so it, it'll be good. Um, my uh, desktop's on the left, so if you see me looking over there, uh, that's why. So the, uh, the lesson is don't keep water next to your laptop because it'll cost you a lot of money. So anyway, uh, today we're talking about Sangamo. If, uh, for those who didn't pay attention, the uh, stock basically dropped in, in half last week based on the updated data from their champion study and their empower study, which was their products to help with MPS1 and MPS2. So going to talk about that and uh, kind of give my perspective and thoughts of the future of the company. Okay, so for those who uh, aren't aware, Sangamo is a, is a bunch of different products uh, related to gene therapy, and they've very much um, been, I guess, the pioneers for, for zinc fingers, at least the biggest advocates for zinc fingers, which are enzymes that are uh, used for genome editing. So the they're the generation of gene editing tools that came before uh, CRISPR got all excitable. So, um, and, and they work in the lab. People have used them for, for a while for different uh, research based research uh, reasons, but they're, they're the ones that have used it in the clinic anyway, or tried to use it in the clinic. So they have uh, programs for MPS1, MPS2, which is a deficiency in, an enz in enzymes that degrade uh, mucopolysaccharides. So when these build up in, in the body, it leads to a lot of negative symptomology. And uh, it's very, very sad for these kids because they, they have a very uh, difficult time. But um, so the current treatment is enzyme replacement therapy, uh, a treatment offered by Biomarin. And Sangamo is trying to figure out a way to deliver the gene to these patients so that they can produce their own endogenous enzyme and uh, supersede the need for enzyme replacement therapy. So, you know, it would be great if this would work because it would definitely improve their uh, their con their conditions of living. Uh, the other programs that are particularly noteworthy are the hemophilia B, hemophilia A, and beta thalassemia and sickle cell disease. These uh, have a pretty big market, so it's a good opportunity for them to uh, generate some revenue. And they also have some early preclinical programs that we're not going to talk about today. Uh, and I haven't really looked into them, to be honest, because, you know, I'm, I'm more interested in the ones that are closer to the clinic because, you know, if Sangam has a chance of being a viable company long term, they need to come up with therapies that are revenue producing. So, um, yeah, so they uh, presented at the World Symposium in 2019 in uh, Orlando, Florida, and uh, two, two, P, two presentations one of the champions, which is their SB913, and the second one was Empowers, which was SB318. So I'm going to first talk about their preclinical data that they published in 2018, and I think that sets a good base for understanding their human data that they presented last week. So uh, they did a lot of great work to show that this could work in mice, and there's models for MPS2 in mice, and they, you know, use this combination of vectors in these mice to show 
good activity of the enzyme and a good reduction in the gags and even some behavioral studies which sometimes you know the mice don't usually sometimes mice don't behave uh, well with with those kinds of studies but they did show that so uh, just to give some background the the layout of what they're hoping to accomplish is is here so what they want to do is use zinc fingers to insert a gene this uh, hids gene which human uh, iteronate or something to sulfatase the the enzyme that's involved in breaking down the gags is what they have here so they want to use zinc fingers to insert this gene in between exon 1 and exon 2 of the albumin gene and the albumin gene is very highly expressed in the liver so what you would expect is a very high expression of this IDS gene in the liver that would then be secreted into the blood be taken up by tissues or circulate in the blood uh, to break down these gags that lead to all the negative symptomology so uh, what you end up having here is this exon 1 fused to the IDS gene that targets the IDS gene to get secreted and uh, and exist as a protein like that so uh, you know it's a it's a good idea it's a novel uh, idea the the thing is that makes it difficult is you need three different vectors to all infect the same cell in order for this to work so there's a vector that has the zinc finger one a vector for the zinc finger two and then a vector for the actual donor gene that would go into that uh, that lo locus here. So uh, in mice, what they did is after they did this infusion in their their MPS2 model mutant mice, they looked at IDS activity in the blood, they looked at IDS activity in the tissues, they looked at uh, detailed genomic analysis to look at um, insertions into the genome, so you can measure that using a sequencing technique. And then they also looked at the output, which was gag levels, or uh, they did behavioral studies, but I'm not going to show that. So in the mice that received the donor, um, the, the donor zinc or the donor uh, gene viruses, that's what I want to say, that AAV viruses, they saw a nice increase in activity in the blood, in the plasma after the delivery. They also saw in the tissues that they got hundreds of fold increases um, compared to the MPS2 mouse. So, you know, this is huge in, in all of these different tissues, even though the activity would only be limited to the liver. Once it circulates through the body, a lot of these tissues will take it up. So they, they saw that um, very strong effect here. The insertions and deletions they saw uh, in the ones that received the different doses, a dose-dependent increase in the number of insertions and deletions, which is showing that actually at the genomic level that it worked and then uh, they followed it up by looking at gag levels that were reduced greatly so compared to this green bar here they saw that the the mice that got the um, the gene therapies of different doses had a substantial reduction in gags which is what you'd want to see so you know i thought that the the publication showed very nice correlation between um, the effect of the gene therapy at the local level, and then they saw these systemic uh, improvements in the mice. So if we want to compare that to the humans, and uh, the AAV is a little bit different. So they used, well, they called it a recombinant AAV6 for humans, even though in the mice it was AAV2 and 8. And this is something that, uh, you know, I think Spark had to deal with this a lot, that 
they don't necessarily correlate between species. Uh, humans have different responses to different AEVs than mice do, so um, this is kind of a tough, this is going to be a growing pain for any company that wants to get into gene therapy, uh, is, is figuring out the right AAV for the right um, tissue that you want to target, and, uh, and the one that's going to have the least amount of reaction from the, the host immune system, because it's a virus. Okay, so uh, in this study, they did three different doses, uh, five times 10 to the 12, five, yeah, five times 10 to the 12 vector genomes per kilogram, uh, one times 10 to the, one uh, times 10 to the 13 vector genomes, and then uh, five times 10 to the 13 vector genomes per kilogram. So three different doses, and uh, they looked at plasma IDS activity, and as opposed to this guy here, you know, we're, we're falling flat in pretty much all of the patients, with the exception of subject six. So subject six did see a, a marked increase in plasma IDS activity. Um, this patient had a lot of uh, issues besides this. So transaminase, transaminitis that occurred and a hernia that occurred. So this patient had to quickly go on some uh, steroid usage and this could affect um, the, the gene therapy itself. So the levels ended up coming right back down. But this subject here was relatively encouraging to the, the scientists. Um, I, I'm, you know, this is not very positive data to me. So if you look also at the, the gags, so this is the output, and we saw some of this data uh, earlier in the year in September and basically they're, they're unchanged. So you would expect a dramatic decrease in, in GAGs if the, the treatment worked. And even in subject six, we don't see a decrease in GAGs at all. So, you know, and these are all patients that are on ERT therapy. So compared to the mouse, uh, which we get this big decrease, uh, we don't see that in, in the human. So. Uh, this is largely negative data that doesn't show that the, the treatment worked. Now, from a safety perspective, it looks like uh, all the adverse events weren't really associated to the gene therapy, which is good. Um, but it doesn't look like there's, there's very much advocacy here. Now, if, if we're going to talk about efficacy, there's a couple things to look at, right? They want to know what the obvious questions are. Uh, were the viruses able to deliver, oh, sorry, hang on, my uh, video here is, is dying. Okay, one second. Okay, we're back. Thank you all for bearing with me during that and uh, the dogs here. Okay, so going to get to it. Um, there's a couple questions, right? Did the viruses work? Were the viruses able to deliver the gene products to the cell? And there's ways to, to do this. If the, you put some sort of marker like a GFP that's uh, tethered in the virus, you might not do that for humans because, you know, you don't want to cause any other concern or safety. Um, 
But the other thing you want to know is, did the gene editing work? So did the actual zinc fingers do what they needed to do once they were in the cell? So uh, what these guys did, though, is they, they used a RT-QPCR assay uh, with primers that were specifically designed over this albumin exon 1 and the IDS gene itself. So you're only going to see a product if this uh, mRNA molecule exists in the cell. And uh, they used this, and they said that they got negativity in cohort 1, but positivity in cohort 2, in both patients of cohort 2. Didn't talk about cohort 3, you know, some problem with the biopsy, and they're waiting on some results. Now, for those who aren't super familiar with uh, PCR, reverse transcriptase, real-time PCR, uh, this is a, a technique to, to quantify mRNA in a cell. So they reverse transcribe these mRNA molecules into cDNA, and then they use PCR um, using primers that are specific to a certain region to quantify how much uh, cDNA is, is in that, that tube or that sample. So, you know, this technique, it, it gives you, it's got like a, uh, a range of detection. And it tells you, actually, it quantifies how much of a product is there. And they're not really telling us that. They're not telling us what they used to say that something was positive or negative. You can look at the cycle threshold, which is the number of cycles that it takes to get the amplification of that product to, to tell whether or not there's, there's a difference in expression between two different samples. So I would love to know what they, what they consider to be a negative sample and what they consider to be positive. And, you know, this would also help us to determine uh, the amount of expression they're getting of this gene. And does it compare to the native albumin um, that they expect? And they, they don't tell us that here. So this is a little disappointing to me. I would have liked to see something deeper here. And related to that, you know, their, their publication, uh, they did Western blots on, on tissue samples. So, you know, this is actual protein X protein, the presence of protein in a tissue. And, you know, with a biopsy, you don't need a lot of protein to do this assay. And the fact that they're not showing us that either, you know, uh, it, it's not super encouraging to me, and it just doesn't, it doesn't bode well in terms of confidence, which is already lacking given what they showed us in September. So uh, I'm kind of disappointed in this. And then they also did that insertion deletion assay, and they were unable to, to to detect insertion deletion events in all samples tested. And they say that this is less sensitive than the qPCR assay, which is possible, but with their lower limit that they say here of one in 1,000 genomes, that's a less than 0.1% trans transduction efficiency or zinc finger um, efficiency. So, you know, that that's very, very low. And for them to expect that that few number of cells would be able to produce enough IDS to have a clinical um, effect on the gags is, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of obvious to say that it, that it won't be enough. And, you know, for we, and that shows up in, in the low amount of IDS that we see in the blood. So um, them saying that this is positive, uh, I don't really like, and them saying that, that they're unable to detect it in this much just makes me think that the uh, either the zinc fingers didn't work or the uh, AAV isn't ideal for hepatocytes. And this kind of this goes back to, to what I was saying before with, with them needing the three different vectors to go into the same cell. And, 
you know, it's difficult enough to get one vector to uh, transduce into one cell, but to get all three in the same cell, you know, you can imagine that the probability of that happening is a lot lower and, uh, and it's a lot more difficult. So, um, yeah, so I'll talk about that a little bit later. But so in the presentation, they go on to say that they're going to do ERT withdrawal in these patients. Um, three of them had already had uh, ERT withdrawal and one has already gone back onto ERT because of fatigue and uh, an increase in gags. So they're going to do with the other patients and uh, hope for the best. So their conclusions here were that it was well tolerated. Um, they, they saw an mRNA transcript in both subjects at, at this middle dose. Again, I'm, you know, I would have liked to see more details here before I, I really believe them. Um, they said that they saw increased plasma IDS activity in one patient, uh, even though that, that activity decreased after the, the transaminitis, and then they're going to expand their ERT withdrawal. Okay, so from this, you know, to me, this, this just looks like there was an issue with, uh, with either the, the virus or with the zinc fingers. But all they talked about on the call was that, you know, this is good preliminary positive data. And they're right, you know, seemingly, if you believe their qPCR data, then they managed to get gene editing with their, their zinc finger technology. And it didn't necessarily lead to clinical benefit, but, um, you know, it, it apparently worked. Now, given that, all they talked about on the call was how excited people should be for their Zinc Finger 2.0 technology, which is going to increase the efficiency of the, the insertion event. And, you know, if, if we should be so excited about these preliminary data, I don't know why they're, they're focusing so much on the Zinc Finger 2.0 technology. Because, you know, if the gene editing itself worked, then it's really a problem of getting the, the AAV to, you know, transduce as many cells as possible. But they didn't really show us any data to that. And, you know, we don't, we don't know whether or not they had these patients developed autoantibodies against the virus. Um, and I'm not sure exactly how efficient this virus is in, in human hepatocytes, which are a tough cell type to work with. So, uh, I think it's it's this is likely to be a problem and I think that if they're ignoring the fact that the AAV might be an issue that you know this could be further problems down the road if they continue to try their zinc finger 2.0 technology but they stick to the same AAV it could lead to the exact same data so uh, the other thing you know maybe the zinc fingers didn't work and I'm suspicious of this qPCR assay um, you know, just saying that it's positive isn't super helpful. And also the, the fact that they got less, such a low efficiency, um, it just makes me think that it's more a problem with the, the virus than it is the zinc fingers. But also it's the, it's the fact that they need all three of these vectors in the same uh, cell that I think is, is difficult for them. So I think that this is going to be a tough lesson that they're going to have to acknowledge. And, you know, I could be wrong. The ERT withdrawal might work, and uh, and that'll be great. But before I talk about that, you know, I'm just going to go over through their MPS1 data real quick. the The only things that were important, really, and the things that the the guys on the call were very excited about was this leukocyte IDUA activity. So instead of IDS with these patients, it's IDUA, but it's the exact same principle: three vectors, and they're hoping that it 
gene edits in the liver, and then the albumin promoter will increase uh, the levels of IDUA in, in the blood and in the tissues. So one way to look at this is IDUA activity in, in cells. So they took leukocytes from the blood, and I assume from the blood, and they measured IDUA activity. Um, and what they saw was a, a nice increase in IDUA. So this is actually uh, relatively encouraging, especially with a, a low-dose and two mid-dose patients here. And they plan on doing up to nine in this study, so it could be good. Uh, one thing, they said that plasma IDUA activity was not significantly changed from pre-treatment values. So, you know, again, we're, we're kind of left wanting with this data. As, uh, as nice as it is to see it in cells that this goes up, uh, you know, it's anybody's guess whether or not this is an artifact due to the ERT treatment, because these patients are getting ERT, and there could just be something going on where the, the time points that they measure happen to coincide with increases in the leukocyte activity. And, you know, we can see that here, even if you look at subject two, before treatment, there's a range of, of between five and 10 and then it went, you know, down to, to three before treatment and then spiked back up. So, you know, I don't know if this is cl clinically relevant or meaningful. And I think for the company guys to be super excited about this and hang their hat on this as being, you know, a reason why we should think that this worked, uh, I think is ambitious. And, you know, it, and it shows up in the, in the gag level. So, you know, this is just very variable data. And... Uh, it's cute, you know, the way that their scale is here. They they kept the scale the same for all the subjects, but you know, if we if we increase that scale, the the amount of movement in the gags, you know, this could just be normal gag fluctuations due to ERT treatment that that occurs. And I don't know. I'm I'm just super skeptical now, uh, given what we've seen and given what I think they could produce to to settle everybody's concerns about the the technology. And because they're continually holding back on that, I, I'm just less inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt, which I did before. And, uh, you know, my 15 shares suffered for it. So the things to look out for for, for the rest of the year, basically, is they're going to present um, ERT withdrawal data from these patients. They're going to give updates on their hemophilia programs and uh, as well as some beta thalassemia uh, updates. So there's definitely going to be a big... Uh, read out throughout the rest of the year, and it's really going to dictate the, the future of the company, in my opinion. So overall, he, here's what I what I got. I, uh, I don't think the ERT is going to work. Um, if we look here, you know, there's barely any increases in IDS levels, and I don't think it's going to be enough to, to bring the gags down that's going to lead to any clini clinically uh, meaningful result. So they've already had one patient have to go back in ERT, and I think the rest of them will, will follow shortly after. And, you know, these are just my opinions. Take them or leave them. Leave me a comment or something, but uh, none of this is financial advice, and I don't expect anybody to invest based on this. But, um, yeah, so I don't think that the Zinc Finger 2.0 tech is going to fix the, tr the issue. Uh, the Zinc Fingers might work fine. It could just be the virus. And if it is the virus... Um, we need to be concerned about the hemophilia B program because it's the exact same setup, same zinc fingers and the same insertion of the albumin gene. And uh, if that's the case, um, it, it could be a, a similar story. Now, the SBE525 program is only one vector, so 
they just put the cDNA in the cell and the cell seemingly can just produce that protein and uh, and it should be no problem but uh, the hemophilia B program might might be in jeopardy if you think like I do that that there might be a problem with the the virus the uh, other hemophilia programs I have beta thalassemia and uh, sickle cell disease it's uh, ex vivo gene editing so it's a lot easier to get a, a gene into an ex vivo cell and that's just a, a cell that's taken from the body um, than it is to actually infect cells that are in the body so I think there's a much higher chance that this program these programs will, will have success um, yeah so I'm mostly worried about the hemophilia B program but uh, I don't know this this could all change if we show good data at the end of the year so you know it's just there's a lot of risk uh, associated with this company right now so you know their market cap after the drop is uh, 800 million they uh, their net cash about 350 million at the end of the year and uh, they lose about 15 per quarter so they're, they're decently funded to continue these programs it's just uh, you know how long are you willing to wait before they strike gold and they're already behind compared to a lot of the competitors regarding the hemophilia programs so you know I'm not sure but uh, I think they're fairly valued here for the delays in these MPS programs but I think if the withdrawal fails or yeah, the ERT withdrawal fails or the hemophilia programs fail, um, there's probably more downside to come. So I'm waiting for a, some sort of bounce uh, just for luck, and I'm going to sell my 15 shares. I just, uh, yeah, it's a little too risky for me at, at this moment. Um, yeah, so uh, this is uh, what happened. We're at uh, 772 right now, and uh, we'll see. But, um, yeah, that's uh, pretty much it. Uh, I think I covered everything I wanted to for the program for the Sangamo, but uh, my goals for this week are to fix my laptop. Uh, I think the water damage is going to need me to replace the motherboard, which sucks, but you know, it's a hard fall lesson. On the macro scale, I think the entire market um, is waiting for these things. So US-China deal that could occur, uh, the tariffs, the US imposed tariffs on China should go in um, into effect uh, March 1st if there's no deal so you know get ready for Trump to tweet a whole bunch and and that could really change the trajectory of the market uh, there's also another government shutdown looming which you know it seems like the market doesn't care too much about uh, government shutdowns but uh, it's still you know newsworthy and still could could affect things uh, in the biotech world I'm still waiting for the Nash data which I'm excited about and uh, catalyst biosciences actually released some updates on their data, which I found kind of interesting. So I think this week I'm going to do a, a deeper dive on them because they're, I think their market cap's only 100 million and they, uh, they have some hemophilia products that uh, would probably be well received by the market, I think. So I'm going to do a deeper dive on them and probably present that next week. But that's, uh, that's all I got for you guys this week. And uh, thank you all for watching and uh, through my technical issues that I had. But uh, yeah, with that, we'll uh, see you next week. Have a good one.